tell us a bit more about what what we don't know about being a CEO. So I think maybe we'll start maybe with the uh, the difficulties that you are really all along. At the end of the day, you have a board and you have maybe a chairman and you have maybe you know your management, but at the end of the day, many things. You, you stay up at night and say, okay, what am I going to do now? These are really critical decisions that I need to make about who am I partnering with or am I shipping those batteries here or there or whatever. At the end of the day, you need to make the decision. It's not about the democracy or vote or consensus. It's not about that. It doesn't help. Sometimes the consensus is opposite of what you need to do. And then you're all alone there. If, if your gut feeling tells you you need to go one way and everybody else is telling you the other way, Um, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's yes. not for everybody. Share their stories and teach the most effective strategies to move from average to greatness. This is your host, Andrea Petroni, a high performance and leadership advisor, executive coach, and keynote speaker with more than 20 years of international and executive corporate experience. Welcome back to a new episode of the World Class Leader Show. And uh, in today's episode, I have someone that I wanted to interview for a long time because I've been following uh, his news, his personal, but also company news for, for a while. So I'm really excited to have with me today, Dr. Doron Meyersdorf. Doron is the CEO and co-founder of StoreDot. And he started, he co-founded in 2012 with a mission to develop extreme fast charging XFC battery technology, utilizing nanoscale metalloids and proprietary compounds to overcome a major barrier to electrical vehicle adoption, range and charging anxiety. Prior to funding Stordo, he served as a senior director of uh, SanDisk SSD business unit, establishing and managing the division in Israel, where he's from building product strategy, marketing, and business development, resulting in sales to leading laptop makers amounting to over $100 million in revenue in under just three years. Previously, he had different uh, uh, senior roles in uh, M-Systems, as well as he worked as a, he founded and was a CEO as well for Inner Presence, Silicon Valley security software company. He co-founded many other businesses, so it's a true entrepreneur. So we're not going through all these trust experiences, because I'm sure Doron will share something with us. Doron, thank you for being with us in the show today. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So Doron, I think one of the most interesting things about your profile, from my perspective, is that you, I mean, you founded many different companies, but essentially you found a gem, which I think is considered store dot, quite lately in, in, in your in your time, right? Because it's not something like, you know, it's not this typical stereotype of the founder, very young, you know, maybe that it doesn't have a, a business experience. You have an amount of business experience. So what is your view about being a founder, you know, and not, you know, very young age? That's a good point. You know, I think 
I think being a founder or starting a new company or being an entrepreneur is is uh, is something in your character mm. that is not directly related to age. It's true that typically you would see many young people and after they do their exit, maybe you don't see them again or maybe you see them as investors or or in some other place in their career. Uh, but if if you are really enthusiastic about technology and about uh, you know making a change, uh, and this is what we are trying to do here, uh, then you know actually age is is to your benefit. Uh, and uh, you know uh, I have do have some gray hair after you know maybe forty years uh, in the industry in different different uh, roles. Um, you know starting even as a student uh, during my PhD, I, I had a software company. Um, no, it was nice for to 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 get some money as a student, but I did it because I felt like, no, I I have to do something of my own. It, it wasn't just for the money. Yeah. So so I think same here. Once I left uh, Sandisk, it's exactly ten years ago. We are celebrating now a ten year anniversary. Um, you know, I felt I need to do something big, uh, something that would make a difference, that would make the world a better place. Uh, and this is what we've been uh, focusing on on here at Stordo. Yeah, and we'll come back to 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 Stordo because that's really such an interesting story, and I think it needs to the audience needs to really hear why you you are doing what you're doing right now because to me you have a, such a bold purpose which is so so critical for launching successful businesses. There, there was an interesting research I'm sure that you read it. That it said that most of the successful founders actually they are over forties. So they are actually in the 40s. So that is a good thing. Because they've, for... they've already made the mistakes, right? So you learn from your own mistakes. That's sure. Exactly right. Exactly right. So there is a reason. There is definitely a reason. Uh, another thing is you have been, uh, you, I mean, you, you come from a country that is, for me, is a top notch in terms of technology innovation. So Israel. But also you spend a lot of time in Silicon Valley. Probably also, you know, you, you, you came across Europe, of course, you know, by, you know, in, in the work that you were doing. So what are the major differences that you notice in terms of innovation technology from the Israelian world, from the Californian world, and all the rest, which is essentially Europe? I mean, of course, there is Asia, but yeah. just to give a little more context. Yeah, I think it uh, starts from the mentality, the Israeli mentality that is very direct. Mm. Uh, there's less hierarchy in the organization. Uh, people tend to express their opinion. Uh, there's a lot, also a lot of... Uh, I'd say technology, but also talent that is coming out of the army, the military. Um, and the, by, we, you see Israelis present in the Silicon Valley in large numbers as well, uh, but, but they bring the same, the same culture, which is basically let's do something uh, in a new way that others have not uh, tried this before. And if we fail, not a big deal. Uh, you know, so... Uh, there's less fear of failure, there's more uh, direct approach, uh, less formal. Um, you know, typically you don't see people in suits in Israel, maybe they're politicians, but, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's similar to the Silicon Valley in that sense. Um, so I think the, uh, the hunger of Israel uh, for technology also comes from the uh, place that uh, Israel is very small. And mm. you can't really have production here. Mm. You cannot produce anything, uh, not in a large scale. You can do prototypes, let's say, of batteries or, or chips. Uh, we have a very small fab, uh, you know, called Tower Jazz that was bought by Intel. And we have one large fab of uh, Intel in the south. 
that's it. That's our, our semiconductor industry. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of innovation in, in the fabless or in foundry uh, businesses. And so I think the focus on R&D and the fact that you need to be like at the early stage of uh, a design of a new product and then transfer it elsewhere for production or for scale-up uh, makes a, a lot of uh, heavy focus on uh, research, on new materials, mm -hmm. uh, on new uh, algorithms, a lot of work on software, cybersecurity, all these things uh, that are a necessity uh, mm. for Israel, both for survival of uh, you know a small country with uh, uh, enemies around it, but also uh, you know in terms of just the geography and the, and the the uh, confined location uh, and and the the fact that uh, even when the company grows, you'll see you know uh, that R and D is here and then sales and marketing is either in Europe or in the US uh, and and manufacturing is is you know used to be in China. Now you know in many other places as well. So so I think it's it's inherent to the DNA of of Israel, uh, the entrepreneurship, the uh, the the you know there's a word in Hebrew, uh, it's called chutzpah. Chutzpah okay. is also it's it's used also in German in Germany. Uh, it, it, it's it's coming from Yiddish from the European language uh, of of the, of the Jewish people who live there. That basically says you need to be fresh. You need to you need to do things that are out of the box. And even though if sometimes it's it's like, you know, breaking the rules, you are just doing something that is bold. That That's the meaning of, of this uh, world, the chutzpah. So it's really founded in the culture of the country, essentially. This idea Absolutely. of, it's not just entrepreneurial idea, but the idea of going, you know, to, to the different level, going to the top, looking always for solutions. And you explain, as we all know, the history is and also the geographical footprint. Certainly, it, it's it's a driver for the. It, it's understandable, but also it's fascinating for you know for other looking at Israel from that perspective. Actually, so that, that's amazing. So let, let's talk a little bit more about Stordot because, uh, I mean, for me, it's such a fascinating journey. So you are essentially disrupting the the world of batteries, and. Um, I would like to understand a bit more about, you know, why you come up with this idea. You know, what was your main why, you know, driver of Stordot in the first place? So, so you know, we started with new materials uh, that came out of a research at Tel Aviv University. And we looked at, the, you know, a number of applications where such new materials, these are organic materials, bio-organic. We called them at the time nanodots. These are uh, elements of nanotechnology. Uh, that were built from peptides. These are amino okay. acids that uh, are being assembled, self-assembled uh, into a very tiny elements, like two nanometer in diameter. Uh, and, and there was a paper in Nature actually describing the potential of such materials to go into semiconductor devices and be the future of, of some other uh, applications. And this is how we started. We kind of, we created the chip uh, that uses these materials. We created a battery, we created a laser, and that created uh, uh, generated interest from people like Samsung. And we had the CTO of Samsung coming to visit us uh, the time it was still at Tel Aviv University. And this is, uh, like I said, 10 years ago. And, and we saw that there is a lot of interest in the potential of bringing uh, new materials into uh, various uh, applications, including batteries. 
And as the time uh, passed, like we maybe a year later, we presented the prototype mm. of uh, a phone that can charge in 30 seconds. Uh, this is still on YouTube. It, it had like in 24 hours, like 3 million hits. I think today it's like almost at 4 million hits. Uh, wow. That, uh, you know, we showed how you can take a phone and change the battery components and, and materials and really charge it very fast. Um, it was very bulky and not very, I'd say, sexy, but everybody liked the idea that you can charge in seconds. Uh, and this is how we, you know, we started uh, getting more and more interest from uh, both investors and also large corporations. Um, and at the beginning, I did think about smaller applications like, uh, you know, power banks and, and phones and things like that. And then we did this uh, drones and scooters. Uh, but you know, I felt like the big problem of electric vehicles is what is called the range anxiety. Okay. Also, people add the charging anxiety. So people are worried that you'll get stuck on the highway or you get to the charging station and there's a long line ahead of you. Or, or it could, you need to wait two hours to charge. Then no, nobody wants to do that. So uh, this is the number one barrier of adoption of electric vehicles is how you're going to charge, how convenient it is, how fast it is, and how safe it is. And we saw that with these materials, like we did with the phone, we can actually do with the car, and we can replace a key component in the uh, battery, which is basically based on, on uh, you know, the traditional lithium-ion batteries, um, the Nobel Prize in Chemistry 2019 for Gutenhoff uh, et al. They basically, you know, show that you can take the lithium ions and store them in graphite. Mm. This is the anode. This is the negative side of the battery. But, you know, they didn't think about the problem that it needs to be fast. If it was one of the goals, maybe they would solve it differently. But they just wanted to prove that you can take the ions and store them in okay. an efficient way. And they did this. This is an amazing innovation. So, you know, when I, when, when I looked at it and I said, you know, so if the problem is the slow charging of the graphite because of resistance and, and the, the crystalline structure of, of the carbon of, uh, of the graphite, let's replace that material with something else. And the closest cousin, uh, you know, if you look at the periodic table, it's called the group 14. Yes. So you have uh, silicon, carbon, uh, germanium, all these materials, uh, they, they are like a family uh, that, that uh, can be interchangeable. And silicon is much better in terms of energy. It's much cheaper. It's more abundant. The second most abundant element on Earth after oxygen is silicon, like mm. silicon. Uh, so, you know, it's, 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 it's almost, you know, like a, a, a demand to, to see if we can work with silicon. The problem with silicon is that it's not as stable because it doesn't have the crystalline structure. It's, it's amorphic. So okay. it like swells, it inflates and deflates when you charge and discharge. And this is what we try to manage with uh, additional materials, organic materials and, and uh, additives. And, and, and basically it's called the hosting matrix that holds the silicon in place. It doesn't let it uh, you know, swell too much uh, during charging. But it does, it, it was known. I mean, we didn't invent the fact that you can charge fast with silicon, only you couldn't do it more than once or twice. We are now doing it for a thousand times uh, consecutively. And this is like the major achievement uh, that we've recently published.
It's funny, actually, we had, uh, I don't know whether you, you, you are aware, but we had in the show the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, but that was 2012. So oh. it's, it's not the same Nobel Prize in 2019. Yeah. It was working on other things. Oh. And he was on the show, actually, he spoke about is uh, something maybe fascinating for you. We didn't, of course, we didn't talk about chemistry, but we talk about more about his journey. So, yeah. you know, that's interesting. Well, what I think is also fascinating, I mean, you have such an incredible investors there backing your, your, your project, you know, as far as I'm aware, you know, there is Volvo, Daimler, BP, I might be wrong on some of the names, the, the TDK. I'm not wrong, we have like uh, seven car makers and, and battery manufacturers, we also have TDK, we have Samsung, um, yeah, uh, we have also Ola, Vinfast from Vietnam. Yeah, it's, so it's a long list of investors. So many big names there that really trust in the technology, they believe in technology, and they see probably the results that you're already making. But also, I know that you are ambitious, that you are going to another level. And you know, there was an article, I probably think you posted today, but I was actually reading too about the Tesla probably start need to see or feel the threat. Today, yeah, about, uh, Tell yeah, us a bit more about what, what's going yeah, on. Yeah, so. So, you know, when we started publishing the results, I didn't want to publish too much uh, over the years before we reached the 1,000 cycles. This was like our internal goal for commercialization. Because, yeah. you know, a thousand times to charge the vehicle, let's say every time you charge for 500 kilometers. So half a million kilometers is like a warranty that, uh, you know, easily the, the car makers can give you. This is something that would make everybody comfortable that yeah. this is a commercial product. Again, assuming the cost is there and the safety is there and all. So now that we've reached the 1000 cycles, we can start publish more and more things about the energy density, uh, which is today over 300 watt hour per kilogram, where Tesla is at 270. And this created uh, this big headline. Uh, so basically we have better energy and it's designed for uh, consecutive fast charging. So you can also fast charge a Tesla to some extent. Uh, let's say, you know, you can get 70, 80% in like 40 minutes. Uh, so, you know, maybe you can get a hundred miles in, in uh, five, seven minutes, but it's not recommended to do this often. And the battery degrades very quickly. Anyhow, mm -hmm. what we designed is a battery that uh, will fast charge every time and will not degrade over the years. So only maybe after 1,000 cycles, you'll get to 80%. Uh, still, the battery will not die. It's just that it will give you less range. Uh, but that's after like 10 years. So, uh, so it's, it's a different uh, optimization of the chemistry that is more designed for the lifestyle of you know, the younger generation. They don't have time. They, they need to um, uh, get uh, on the road as fast as, as, as possible. And, and the whole lifestyle is around uh, mobility. And this is what we designed the battery to be, to, to basically address this uh, barrier for adoption, which is the charging. I, I know already, you know, the, the incredible um, advanced steps that you are making really for the, for the battery industry. But what's going to be your next big thing? So in other words, in the next three, five years, what we might expect from you and from the store dots based on what's so, going on? So we have, a, uh, we have a roadmap of uh, keep improving on this experience. I want eventually the experience to be exactly like fueling. So mm -hmm. like, uh, but without the fumes, right? So in a few minutes, you'll get the entire uh, tank 
or the entire charge full. So the product today, we call it 105 because okay. it provides 100 miles in five minutes of charging. Our next product in a couple of years, we call it 103. That's 100 miles in three minutes. And the Holy Grail, which I don't think anybody will ever be able to do better just because of the you know, amount of current and power that you need to pump into the vehicle, is 102. So 102 is 100 miles in two minutes. So like in five minutes, you get roughly 500 miles. Uh, that that's uh, something uh, you know four four to five hundred miles. That's like you know the holy grail. It will take another decade uh, to get there, but uh, you know because we have here forty PhDs. So I didn't mention that, but you know the team here is very top heavy on on the science and on the uh, patents. We over have over a hundred patents. There are dozens of new materials that we've invented. Over the years, it's exactly like in drug discovery and pharmaceutical industry, where you have a family of molecules that are doing something good. So you just register the entire families uh, to protect it uh, uh, for, for, for commercial reasons. So we have here uh, a host of new materials that uh, uh, we are starting to use also in our next generations okay. and improve on them. So. You know, it's not just about solving the, the uh, one problem today that, uh, you know, the battery degrades. We want also to keep improving on the experience until people will feel totally comfortable with an electric vehicle, that there won't be anything that, uh, you know, they miss in terms of the experience of uh, fueling. That's excellent. And that's probably the concern of most of the people. They don't have yet an electrical car. It's exactly that. And probably I'm one of them. So I'm glad to hear that. Uh, so let, let's uh, shift to the big gears because what I'm curious now to understand a little bit more about this, Doron, is you have such a bold vision. You are disrupting the industry. And of course, you said, you just said now, you know, you have a lot of researchers, PhDs, people, they're bringing continuously innovation, ideas, and patterns, et cetera. But how do you think uh, has been the key for you to mobilize people around your vision? Because you're growing. I mean, how many people are working now for Stordot? We are now 130 people. Okay. Uh, 10 people, uh, uh, seven people in the US that we are starting a new center in California, just because we've kind of exhausted the talent pool in Israel for batteries, really. Okay. All top scientists already work for us. Uh, so, you know, and I need to grow, so I can't grow uh, in Israel. And as I said, I'm not going to manufacture here. So I need to get closer to where production is. You know, now with all the uh, support and subsidies from the Biden administration, there's a lot of uh, uh, subsidies and, and potential factories that we can engage with uh, in, in uh, the United States. So totally, we are 130 people today. And yeah, we keep growing. Excellent. So as you as you're scaling as you're growing so one of the challenges but you tell me what I might be wrong is scaling but maintaining the same culture of innovation entrepreneurship so how how can you do that when your organization grows and you start having new people on board new countries i think yeah it's it's a very good question because uh, there is competition on talent mm. uh, across the board especially, you know, with other companies like Intel uh, in Israel, or, or there's also uh, SolarEdge that are doing, uh, you know, energy storage in Israel. So talent is very limited. And I think the vision uh, of really changing uh, something fundamental 
in the way that uh, uh, we use uh, mobility as a whole that can make an impact on the environment and on our planet is something that really resonates with people, uh, in mm. especially the younger generation, uh, that they feel like things need to change and we cannot continue to you know, use oil and, 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 and petrol in, in our vehicles. Uh, so that that is something that uh, I feel uh, people want to be part uh, in and they want to make an impact. Uh, and, and that helps a lot. If you have uh, uh, a goal, a vision, a mission that that uh, is is make, is doing good for the planet or doing good, or people feel good that they're participating in, this definitely helps in attracting talent, not only in Israel, of course, it's it's a global thing, but I, uh, I do feel that, uh, you know, even though the, the vision was very difficult to uh, realize and still is, it's a huge challenge, you know, what we are doing was, and some people, for some people, it's still considered impossible to do. Mm. I'm talking about like a hundred VCs that were here and told me, you know, Mr. Maestroff, Dr. Maestroff, you're wasting time, you're wasting money, go read the books on physics. This can never happen. You cannot charge fast. It's dangerous. You have these all these problems. There's a long list of problems with safety and with, uh, you know, the materials and 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 uh, uh, heat and resistance and whatever. So, you know, it, it was just being able to hold this vision in spite of all these negative uh, answers. And, you know, each one of these VCs, they bring a, an expert, a professor, or some somebody who is like, I've done this many times. And he tells me, no, you know, it cannot happen. Luckily, you know, we got some brave uh, companies that had people there that says, uh, let's give it a chance. This is out of the box. Um, you know, it just might work. So I had people like this in Samsung and I had one in Daimler and I had one in, in, in Polestar and uh, Volvo. So, you know, you just need one guy to believe in you uh, in each of these organizations uh, and, and keep showing the results. Yeah. And this also, by the way, gives confidence to people, you know, if, because the, we started with the phone. Why did I do the phone? I knew that, you know, I cannot, you know, manufacture uh, a battery for a phone uh, so quickly. But just the demonstration uh, created the, you know, just generated the Im imagination and, and the, the uh, uh, belief in the vision. Uh, so, so demonstrating the, the application is also a very important component for, for the people. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm with you 100%. I mean, such a, having a, such a compelling and bold vision about the future and the impact that you are making to people is a big, way to mobilize people around the vision itself right many many organizations honestly we have all seen this they underestimate the impact of vision they think you know having just something to stick on on the, to hang on the wall is just enough to mobilize people around results that doesn't work in a way you just you know you just demonstrate that and another thing I think is interesting what you describe you know the the the, the negative feedback or pessimism that you received at the beginning while you were approaching investors and others uh, around your idea is exactly what proves actually the difference between who is ready to generate breakthrough performance as you did comparing to others that are just looking for incremental performance and they don't really want to even try to get to the level of their vision and that's one element of what you said as a takeaway the other one is always remind people is always a mindset game so i think you have proven that the way how they were see the world was not either right or wrong, but that was how they see the world. And you have, you know, you were seeing the world in a different way. 
we always remember that nothing yeah. is you know is built as a truth in our mind is how we see things so, so but once once we are open to see things in a different way this is when magic happens right so it's really a mindset thing right yeah exactly it's a it's a mindset that it's also you know being able to really think out of the box because mm. you know most of them were right that you know if you would use the same materials yes you cannot charge fast and this is what's happening now to tesla and the others that you know, are trying to charge fast and really hit the limits of what you can do with, with graphite-based uh, lithium-ion batteries. But, you know, nobody thought that, you know, you don't need to stay with the same materials. It can still be a lithium-ion battery with different uh, composition of materials. And this is something that it's not easy to do. It requires at least 10 years of research like, uh, like we've done. But, uh, uh, but if this is your goal and you put enough you know, resources mm. and, and, and talent and money and labs. You know, we have the best labs, by the way, we heard from, uh, you know, companies like, like Daimler that, you know, these are the best labs in the world for batteries that we've built here in, in, in uh, Neotelia. This is near Tel Aviv. You know, I was amazed. I didn't think that what I'm building is the best in the world. I didn't think. I just said, you know, for these researchers to succeed, they need this much space, which is, by the way, 2,000 square meters, and they need so many glove boxes and they need a dry room and they need the best equipment and, and microscopes and, and you know, quantum physics uh, computers and, and, and so forth. So, you know, we just, I, the first 20 million that I got all went to the lab. Mm. So, you know, that's why very quickly we needed another round. So I'm talking back 2013, 2014, uh, you know, we had the 6 million round from Samsung uh, 2013 and 2014, I already had a 42 million round from uh, a bunch of VCs. And three years later, we done. I had 82 million round because all the money went into equipment and labs, and and you know we didn't even produce anything. Uh, and this was, by the way, part of the criticism about Stordot is that you know you keep burning money, right? You're just building more and more labs, and taking more and more people. But uh, you know what what did help is that along the way we did demonstrate uh, the progress. Uh, of, of and, and by the way, there's there's no there's no shortcut here. If you look at all the other startups, uh, there's a, there are many startups that are doing batteries. They are all 10, 15 year, uh, years mm. you know, on the road. And if you look at let's say at QuantumScape, that is worth uh, you know several billions that Volkswagen invested in, they're talking about uh, solid state, which is next next generation maybe. And they you know just to survive, they said that they'll have something in 2022. Then they said 2024. Now they say 2026. No, it's 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 gonna be also 10, 15 years for them. Also, there's no there's no magic here because uh, you know it's not software. Once yes, you deal yeah. with with the science, with the materials, this is like the hardest problem because materials do a molecule, a new molecule will do whatever it does. You cannot manipulate it. It's yes. just once you constructed the molecule, it has certain quality certain properties, certain resistance, certain, uh, you know, behavior under current or under voltage that you cannot change. You cannot, that if it's, it's not like a bug that you can fix in the software. You have to reconstruct the molecule and that's another cycle of six months. Yeah. So, uh, so anyway, so I, I think back to your question about the, uh, keeping the vision and the talent and, and basically being able to uh, uh, gain more traction even though it takes a lot a lot of time um, I think it's a, it's a combination of the vision 
the demonstration of the results and the investment in the in the labs and the people I think that's you have to be lucky as well to find the right investor I suppose the investor they, they believe in the long term game they're not looking for monetizing you know uh, the investment in a very short period of time otherwise it's not for you uh, I suppose and, and, I, and by the way you know I did have some of these also uh, some of them have sold and made a lot of money because they were like short uh, yeah. side, you know they, they, they just cannot wait 10 years 10-15 years but it's okay too so, but but because of uh, you know the valuation of the company keeps growing. Mm. You know, in our last round uh, we had uh, one one point three billion. So people invested when we were you know six ten million. So they did you know fifty times on their money. They are out and they you know they stop pressing me about the product tomorrow morning. Uh, <laughs> so, but but uh, so everybody is happy. Everybody has his own strategy. So yeah, you're right. You you probably need all of them. So if we look. A little bit more about your challenges as a CEO, right? So, because you mentioned that it is a war of talent, so it's different, difficult in Israel, you know, to you exhausted the pool of talents. That's why you know you're developing, growing your organization in California. So the talent is clearly a challenge for everyone, really, right now in the market. Are there any other challenges that are pressing for you as a CEO now that you see really traction in your organization that is growing? Is scaling, is getting product out. You see the investor. So everything sounds working fine, but there is something that we probably don't see from the outside of your world, Doron. Yeah. So you know, it's basically we are moving now from uh, an R and D risk. You know that you know you're doing something that is impossible to do mm. to an execution risk, mm. which is you know, how you take this uh, amazing technology and how do you scale it up. Who is going to be your manufacturer? How are you going to manage the supply chain? What's how are you going to control the cost? Uh, especially now, you know, with all the constraints globally on the supply chains and the war in Ukraine and the you know material the, logistics the cost of yeah, yeah whatever. So much is going on in the world that was unpredictable, mm. and and me and the CEO now I need to find solutions to all these problems, and not all of them are solvable immediately. So we need more patience. Uh, we would need more money. Uh, it just will take more time. Uh, and, and, and this really worries me because, you know, I did promise, uh, you know, a certain timeline and we are meeting it technology-wise. Now the question is, can we actually follow on the execution and on the deliveries? Uh, and basically, you know, I want to be, let's say, with high volume production in 2024, you know, I, I, I need to have all these agreements in place, but everybody's hesitant. They don't know, you know, if the factories are going to be built in time, what will be their cost structure, where will they get their materials. There, there are a lot of unknowns that are, are now are coming into play, and that, that's, uh, that's a big uh, challenge. And to some extent, it's not too different, although it's a completely different timing to the challenges actually Tesla had, uh, you know, once they start sol- selling the idea, everything was happy with the first prototype and then was how scaling from an execution standpoint to some extent. Exactly. It's, it's exactly the same problem. But with Tesla, you know, there was no, there was no R&D risk. Mm. It was known. They had, you know, they had the Roadster, they you know the, the, the car can, can go. Uh, you know, you can make it better, you can make it more beautiful, you can make it cost-effective. Here, really, we dealt with something that everybody said, you know, impossible. This yeah. will not happen. So at least this is behind us. Yes. Just in the last year that it kind of behind us. But 
but there are a whole new set of challenges that are similar to Tesla or to, you know, any, even to Intel that is now scaling up factories around the world with, uh, you know, 450 millimeter wafers or whatever, something, it is a huge challenge, uh, but they've done this before. So, you know, it's already like an old machine that they know what to do, even in tough, in rough times. And they have the, you know, the, 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 the cash to, to kind of support it. I'm a startup. I have 70 million in the bank. That's what I need to win with. <laughs> and, and also to be fair you just mentioned before the condition where you're operating right now in this moment they're very different than what they were before for others just for all the uncertainty that you mentioned now you mentioned a lot of external factors that might unfortunately impact you know your ability to execute the big plan that you have is there anything that in your mind um would you change in terms of maybe type of people that you need to have around for the future because maybe they face the same challenge that you're facing now? So in other words, it's just an external market conditions that might impact the, your execution ability or do you think there is something that you have to change as well from a leadership or management standpoint? You know, I'm, my background, my first degree was in industrial engineering and you know, I was actually VP operations in uh, Sandisk. So you know, I understand operations and now I need more people that understand supply chain, understand cost structure, understand scale-up, NPI, new product introduction. I didn't have these people until recently. So we mm. just started hiring them. So these are in addition, this is why we are growing. These are in addition, I still need all the scientists. I'm not gonna let go or, or give up on any talent that can write patterns and, and you know, work on next generations and keep improving on the technology, these are the, the gems, that, like you said, but but I do need to go to a more like an execution organization. And this is something that uh, we're working on right now. And I suppose also from a behavioral standpoint, maybe to in order to accelerate execution, because honestly, the, one of the things that I have noticed so many times across industry and countries right now, Doron, is inability of execution for many organizations. Not because they, they don't know what to do necessarily, but how to make sure people that execute in a way that's scalable is not as easy as we think for a number of potential issues and challenges the organizations face. So I think you're right. I think it's a combination of different elements at the same time. So uh, it's, it sounds like a big, honestly, a big challenge. Right? I'm sure you, you will figure it out. Now, the last question about you, and, and then we'll end to the final very quick uh, Q&As, but we we talk a lot about market phase conditions and major challenges that we can see from the outside but how do you how do you see yourself as a ceo what, what you know how do you do you live being a ceo of a grown organization what what do you like what you don't like well, t- tell us a bit more about what what we don't know about li- being a ceo so i think maybe we'll start maybe with the uh, the difficulties that you are really all along at the end of the day you have a board and you have maybe a chairman and you have maybe, you know, your management. But at the end of the day, many things, you, you stay up at night and say, okay, what am I going to do now? These are really critical decisions that I need to make about who am I partnering with or am I shipping those batteries here or there or whatever. At the end of the day, you need to make the decision. It's not about the democracy or vote or consensus. It's not about that. It doesn't help. Sometimes the consensus is opposite of what you need to do. And then you're all alone there. If, if your gut feeling tells you you need to go one way and everybody else is telling you the other way, um, it's, it's tough. 
It's yes. not for everybody. <laughs> so, uh, so this is on 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 the difficult side. On on the positive side, you know, you do feel like you have uh, a DNA of a machine that you have created mm. for the good and for the bad. You know what's happening in the organization and how people treat each other, or how decisions are being made, or how customers look at you. Do you do they, you know, rely on you? Do you present yourself as as, as a reliable uh, entity and organization that to work with, do people want to work with your organization? These are things that you are building. And if they are successful, there's there's a very great reward. There's nothing actually better than that to see like uh, 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 all this organization moving in 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 the vision that that you had and in the uh, 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 momentum and and the uh, you know characteristic that that you design. So, so that, that that's really on on the positive side, but it's um uh, it's as I said it's it's not for everybody, and and like I think we discussed earlier uh, in, in the hour, we said, you know, actually, it's it's like uh, it's a bug, it's like you have it in you, and this is part of you, and there's you know you won't feel satisfied. Know, now going to be be vice president at uh, IBM. I don't know. Just that it's 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 for, for many people it's great mm. to be vice president at IBM. Uh, for me, I've done I've done it for ten years. You know, it's okay, but it's not like you feel every morning that you are that, that you can make a difference. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah making making a difference is a good way to end uh, you know this part of the podcast i love this and, and yeah and feeling alone is of course you're not the the the, the only ceos that share the same feeling so that's very very common and every time they interview ceos that's something no, normally that comes out so being alone, taking tough decisions, despite, you know, what, you know, what's the drift, you know, what the current condition of the organization, that's, that's key. Awesome, Doron, just read a couple of minutes for the final question. Do you think there is one thing that you learn among many others across all your fascinating career? It's, you need to be truthful to yourself. If you're doing something that you are not uh, uh, whole with, or you don't feel like is right, you know, at the end of the day, you regret it. Even if it succeeds it's in some to some extent, you feel like you didn't go with your heart and you're not truthful to yourself, at the end of the day, it bites you. I've seen it in, in many aspects of, you know, who you're working with, how you're making the decisions, who you're taking your money from, all these things. At the end of the day, you, your gut feeling tells you a lot. Totally. Yeah, I love that. And on the other hand, there, there might be maybe something that you would have done differently in your career or you're pretty happy with what you did? Mistakes every day. So <laughs> would I do things differently? Yes, absolutely. You know, looking at the hindsight, you can always say every day I made so many mistakes. But at the end of the day, if I look at the big picture, you know, there's no other way to do it. You just need to keep making mistakes. Yes. So even... I mean, the whole DNA of the organization, it's maybe not the nicest thing to say, but 99% of what we do goes to the garbage. You are doing experiments, 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 99, by definition, 99% fail. <laughs> That's a very tough, and now it's the same thing in the business. You're talking to many, 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 many people. And you know, it's very important to know who you are not working with, who you are saying no to, because my, 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 my nature is to say yes. 
people approach me, like you approach me, I say, yes, yes let's talk, let's do this. And you know, at the end of the day, you are swamped and you need to start saying the no's. Who you are saying no to is very difficult because most uh, CEOs are optimistic people. They want to see what, what <laughs> door can open, not what door can close. Uh, but too many open doors is a confusing thing. It's defocus. Uh, so at the end of the day, to, to manage this balance is is, uh, is is tough. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. We need to learn of saying two more no's to people in order to, to stay focused on, on our true self and what yeah. our is mission. So I'm glad that you said yes to me <laughs> for the <laughs> podcast. I'm glad that I passed the, I passed the text. Uh, final question, Doron, is what is your approach to learning? So, and of course, based, particularly for you, based on what you do, you know, you've been always about research and experimentations and testing, but what is your approach to learning? I mean, you love reading, you love listening, you love, so what is the way, the best way? And if he's reading, maybe not, but if he's reading, is there any particular book or source of inspiration that, that was really important for you? I, you know, honestly, I was reading a lot when I was younger. Mm. Um, and like, for example, there are all these books by Ellie Goldratt, The Goal, if you're familiar with that, and then there's The Critical Chain. And those books, I, I found them really inspirational. And, uh, you know, actually, I sometimes give to my workers uh, as present to, to read these, these kind of books because it explains a lot about the dynamics of... Uh, uh, you know, project planning and, and the organization and execution and all that. Uh, also, crossing the, the chasm and, and things like that, uh, uh, books around, around the business uh, I used to read. But recently, you know, because I'm so busy, every time I have some free free time, I just, I just go on a bike ride, go to the mountains, I clear my head, I, you know, I think about the things all along, you know, so sometimes it's in a group, and then you're just, you know, doing it for the sport, but sometimes it's straight on my own. You find your, uh, you know, hour of inspiration and just like meditation, basically. Uh, Which is powerful, absolutely powerful. And and I suppose based on all the all the challenges and situation that, you know, all of you guys facing, I think it's super powerful to find the time just for yourself and, and declutter your mind and think about in a different way about things. I love this, Doron. Um, so where people should go if they want to know more about you and StoreDot? So now I think the whole media is full of uh, stories about StoreDot. There's obviously the website. Uh, people can call me anytime. I'll say yes. Yeah, connect with Doron, guys. So they're in the audience. So not just because he's, he's, he's really fascinating person, a CEO and successful leader, but, you know, I follow his post. He's always very interesting. So it's always something interesting to read from following you. And, it, and I tell you, really, honestly, transparency. So this is, is someone to, to follow and to connect with on LinkedIn. Doron, thank you so much. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you, Andre. Appreciate it. Appreciate uh, your time and the good questions. Thank you very much. As this is a very interesting topic. I really would like to hear from you, understanding what you think about this. So please send me any comments, either uh, on LinkedIn or you can send me via email at andrea at andreapetroni.com you can find anyway these links on the show notes and um, and by the way if you like what we shared I strongly recommend actually to leave a review because you know as a podcaster we live with reviews so the only way for our episode and our podcast to grow is by 
having positive reviews. So I appreciate that. And also sharing with your friends and colleagues if you think they might be interested. And final note, I normally um, summarize the findings of each episode, even the ones with the guests, uh, on my website. And I write every Thursday a very interesting uh, short summary about what we share. So if you don't want to miss that and you prefer uh, reading, I strongly recommend going to my website, www.andreapetrone.com slash blog. You can subscribe there. I'm not sending any sales thing. It's just big, good insights of my experience with the podcast and my work with clients. So thank you so much for listening to this episode and I look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>